Now for a review. And I'll say this. I just listened to myself last week, so I'm trying my best, uh, though I'll still have fluff because I'm Donovan. I'm trying my best to stay on task because I didn't realize I was talking to y'all for almost an hour last week. Why didn't somebody say anything? Josh, if I go anywhere close to an hour today, you look at me and you go, hey, uh, come on. Because <laughs> it's not that preaching needs to be short. I'm not saying it for that reason, jokes aside. But it is because, you know, we don't want to belabor the point. I want to be efficient with my teaching so that we're hearing exactly what God wants and very little of what, God, what Donovan's saying. Sorry, let me say that again. I want you to hear what God wants you to hear and not as much as of what Donovan has to say. And I think that hour was probably more a result of me fluffing than me actually saying exactly what he had to say. So I'm going to try to be on task today, if that's okay. Um, for review, we covered a few things so far this year. I'm not going to cover all of them, but we covered the fact that God is pursuing us and that he's done so first. Right? So in all of the, I want to know God more, I want to chase after him, those are all good things, but we have to recognize that it's only because he has first pursued us that we can even dream of approaching him. I was reading the Daily Bread with my father earlier this week. My dad loves ODB, right? He's down with ODB, right? And so he's always sending me our Daily Bread uh, links, and he wants me to read with him. And if he's watching, shout out to you, dad. So He's always sending them. So he sent me one the other day, and the foundational passage for the Daily Bread was Psalm 61. Now, again, to be efficient, because this is not in my notes, I'm going to say, check it out. Good. But in verse 2 of it, it says, take me, I'm paraphrasing here, take me to the rock that is high. And if you look at it in the Amplified, it says, hey, take me to the rock that's high that I cannot reach on my own. So we recognize that Christ is this rock, and at the same token, I can't even access Christ, lest Christ make it possible. Lest he lifts me to that rock, I can't know him, I can't understand him, I can't be in relationship with him, I can't stand on anything. He has to make it possible, and then I have to walk in that possibility. So he's pursuing us first. If there was ever any thought or confusion about whether or not you started the relationship with God, I'm here to say, you didn't. He started with you first. He loved you way before you recognized that you should love him. He loved you, Paul says in Romans, when you were yet sinners, or another place in Romans 5, he says, when you were yet enemies. So like his pursuit of us first, we got to recognize how significant that is. Because when we start to get that illusion that we're dirty or unworthy or have no business being around him, when we get back to that place because of the accusations of the enemy, we could just remember the fact that when we were all of those things before, he chose to love us. He chose to pursue us. It was his idea. I didn't convince him to love me. I couldn't convince him to love me. Not if I tried. Right? So I can't convince him to love me. And there's not a place, there's not a situation, not a circumstance, not a decision I'm going to make where he's going to say, you know what, Kim, I'm done with you. Because he should have been done with you before, and for whatever reason, he chose not to be done with you. He loves you despite you. So there's no situation you're going to be in, Kim, where you're going to get so that he says, mm-mm. This is too messy for me. 
He knew all of the mess beforehand and said, I love Kimberly Bressler completely and desire to redeem her and anybody else in the room. I'm wearing my glasses. I'm not going to call on anybody in the back, but just know if I could see you with my contacts, I'd call on you too. And everything I just said, it'd be true. Better yet, I can kind of make out Laura Root. Laura, no matter how dirty you might think you are, God understood the totality of your sin and your, your debauchery, your godless thought, your deviation from his standard, your not being worthy of him. And he said, I still choose without hesitation to love and redeem my daughter, Laura Root. So as a result, there's no situation, no circumstance where you're going to make a decision, you're going to do something, you're going to step out in a way where he says, this is just too much. You can't do it. Now, don't try. <laughs> don't push the boundaries, right? There's, there's something Paul says about that too, but again, trying to stay on task here. There's so much good stuff in the Bible. So don't push the boundaries on purpose, but just know, even if you did try, there's not a place you're going to go where your sin gets to a certain excess where he says, I'm done, because his grace runs deeper still. Just stop trying to, right? So I'm trying to find that limit. We also covered what his pursuit did. So his pursuit resulted in a few things. It resulted in our forgiveness. It resulted in us being healed. It resulted in us being freed. It resulted in us being redeemed. And some of the passages that we used, both Alan two weeks ago, myself last week, were 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. If you didn't have it in your notes before. And Luke chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. And ooh, this is a good one. John 10, 10. Where we talk about the fact that the enemy comes to, to steal stuff, to kill, to destroy. But God's redemption is not just about the purchase, right? Because we understand that the word redemption has a purchase connotation to it. But it's also that he's reminding us of the things that we had before Satan started stealing. He's reminding us of what he's purchased. He's showing us the receipt and saying, hey, I purchased this for you. Holy Spirit does a great job at that. We just got to listen. We got to accept what was purchased for us. Now, where this series picks up with Love Well is that I wanted to talk about what is an appropriate response to God's pursuit of us. And so last week we talked about how we want to trust God completely, or rather, before we even got there, that we want to give God our whole selves. So in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when it talks about how we should offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, that's preceded by, in view of what? His mercy. In view of God's mercy, do this. If you don't have a view of God's mercy... Offering up yourself as a living sacrifice seems like a really high price. I don't know if I feel like paying that. Devoid of his mercy. I got stuff I want to do. And some of it's not as godly as maybe it should be. I got things I want to accomplish. I want to be a millionaire. I'm not joking. Like, I'm not mad at the thought of being wealthy. But, but that may not be a part of his plan for me. And by obeying him, I may not be able to accomplish certain things because there's certain deals that other people can make who have no scruples. 
who don't need to honor him, but that I need to make. I could grow my business by doing more vendor shows. Sam, me and you have talked about this several times, right? And shout out to all the business owners in the room. Molly, I see you, right? So all the business owners in the room, Andrea, wherever you are, right? I could do more shows on Sunday. I could do shows every night. If I look hard enough, I could find a vendor show, because it's crazy that they put some of them on Tuesdays. I could do vendor shows every day of the week and focus on making money. But then where's my time for my family? Where's my time for prayer and study and worship? Where is my time for spending time with you all on Sundays? There's certain things I won't be able to accomplish because I need to be giving all of myself because guess what he purchased? All of me. He didn't purchase Sunday me. So because he purchased all of me, there's going to be times where God says go this way even though everything I want is over here. Now, is he doing it to be mean? No. Is he doing it to be vindictive or maleficent? No. No, 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 no. He's doing it because he... It's reasonable that he says, go this way and you go. Go that way and you go. Do this thing and you do it because you're his. We don't like this word, but we are a slave to the Most High. If you don't like slave, we're a servant. If you don't like servant, we're a son, but in all regardless... Of all those things, whatever, whatever you want to dress it up as, you got to obey, which is what we're going to talk about more in a little bit. So he wants our entire selves. And so when we look at his mercy, when we look at what Alan was talking about, when we look at how he's pursued us divinely, when we see that in view of that mercy, it is a reasonable response that we give him all of ourselves. Bearing in mind, speaking of reasonableness, you still got to go to work. So don't be saying to your boss, hey, I can't do my job right now. Sorry, I'm praying. You got a job. So we're temperate. When I say you get your entire self, he gets all of you. He understands that you have work and responsibilities and there's things you need to do, but do them in honor and in view of him. How you work can honor him. How you go on vacation. How you relax. How you decompress can honor him. So all of us doesn't mean necessarily that I'm always in church, but that I'm always his. Make sense? Okay, cool. Then we talked about how we need to completely trust him. And that's a big thing, right? Because if we view his mercy, but we still approach the throne out of fear then maybe we don't fully grasp it. Going back to what I said about the whole dirtiness thing, when we reflect on our sin, which Satan's really good at helping us do, when we reflect on our mistakes, we can find ourselves saying, this is not going to end well for me. One day when I have to approach him and I got to look at the Father eye to eye, face to face, that this is not going to go so well. But I can approach boldly right now when I'm in prayer, and I can approach boldly one day, not because I'm perfect, but because I have been fully paid for and fully redeemed. And 1 John 4, verses 15 through 18, covers that greatly. Better yet, let's pull it up. Can we pull it up? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. 
we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. I'm going to read that again. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Rosie, I'm going to pick on you again. I didn't warn you I was going to pick on you. So this is me stalling since I'm planning on picking on you. What would you say, best guess, you're an English expert, the difference between knowing and believing would be? Because he's saying both here. We have come to know and have believed. What's the difference? Because I thought those were the same. Believing here is from the heart. Mm. And knowing's from where? Considering she didn't know I was going to her, that's a pretty good answer. We're going we're gonna to work with that. Yeah, absolutely. So Rosie said knowing would be from the mind. Something analytical, like cognitive, like, like we're thinking through it, we're processing it, we're trying to grasp and understand it for ourselves. We're analyzing it and synthesizing it. All of the words in Dale's cone of experience from my educators here. Believing something different, though. I don't always fully understand what he's doing, but I believe it. That's rooted in the heart. That's a different thing. Say that again. What was the question? No, that's solid. I'll take that. We're team teaching today. I'll take that. Knowing first makes sense, as long as it's not devoid of belief. That's, that's more so the point I'm making. So knowing's not bad. We should carefully examine the scriptures. We should try to understand God in the way in which he's presented himself. Right? But if we just know him but don't believe what he says, we will do what this passage is talking about. But thank you. That's good. And forever who said I can't see her, you're so right. <laughs> we got these cool like elevation lights now. I can't see past at the fifth row. But okay. So God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love, or by this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Brenda, this is what we're talking about. See, because if I know how amazing God is, all the things he's done for me, but also know all of my sins and all of my iniquities and all of my mess-ups, if I just know it, but I don't believe that he's fully addressed it, right? Because I can't necessarily see that my, my, my sins have been paid for. Like, I don't have, like, a receipt. Like, we, we've talked about metaphorical receipts, but it's not like I got faxed something when I got saved where God said, hey, here's the paid invoice. I don't have anything tangible. All of this is on belief, right? Like, my relationship with him started with belief. And, and my understanding of the fact that I'm perfectly loved and that I can approach him without fear, belief, right? So knowing and believing, if I don't believe fully, this is going to be hard for me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. Who is perfect love? This is not a trick question. Who is perfect love? Who expresses it perfectly? Okay, so... There's no fear in love, but I can swap that out. But perfect love, or my Savior, 
He casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in, want to swap it out? Christ. I haven't been perfected in Christ. I haven't been perfected in his love if I'm still approaching his throne, fearing punishment. Now, there's going to be some correction. He's going to address some things, but I don't have to fear it. I'm just having a conversation with my father who's saying, hey, son, daughter, I didn't like that but I love you fully. So I need to know and I have to believe. This is good stuff. So going on to this week, I had promised you that we were going to cover obedience and we were going to cover our relationships with other people. So as I examined my outline in preparation for today, I found that really obedience by itself would be a sufficient thing to cover today. I find sometimes when I come up here that I'm concerned I'll run out of stuff to say, which is weird because I know I like to talk. So in fear of thinking I'm going to run out, I sometimes over outline. But I realized that there was some collapsing that could happen here. Obedience can be expressed through how I love other people and how I restore other people. But let's, let's first unpack obedience. So if you could turn with me, we're going to go quickly. Turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep what? And if you're in the back and you can't see up here, right behind you is there as well. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, rules, expectations, instructions truths. You'll keep them. Let's go to John 15, verse 14. You are my friends. So if you didn't like slave, and you didn't like servant, and you didn't like son, you would be the Lord's friend if you do what I command you. You see, we want to be friends, but not do what he commands. Friendship is tied to that. You can sing the song, I am a friend of God, all you want. If you're not obeying his commandments, if when he says, Rosie, I need this of you, you're not gladly giving it, you're not a friend of his. He still loves you. Doesn't negate all of the points I've made before. He still loves you. You're just not a friend. He's measuring friendship a certain way. Last week when I talked about this, I had talked about, like, what are God's love languages? Well, obedience is one of them. Family? We're not talking about why he loves you, because if, if he required obedience for him to love you, we'd all be stuck. We're talking about how does he receive love? And God receives it. This is his words. Like if we were to look at the actual book, this would be in red people. Jesus is saying, if you're my friend, do what I command. Now, how many of you, if I were to ask to raise your hand, would say you want to be a friend of God, right? Like everybody would have their hand up. Not everybody's, not everybody's willing to do what the commandments are. though. Not, not everyone's willing to say, I'm going to listen to God when he says this. Some of his commandments are uncomfortable. They brush, they brush against what I want to do and where I want to go and how I want to live. But all the same, if I want to be a friend of his, there's an expectation. And there's no amount of sacrifice no amount of things we could do, no amount of giving, no amount of church attendance that will ever replace obedience. 
Wouldn't it be nice if we could, though? If we could just buy a little bit of disobedience? Like, I feel like not acting right for a little bit, but when I come back, that tire check is going to be huge. That's not how it works, though. There's no amount of, whether it be the Old Testament with the sacrificing of animals, whether it be the New Testament with, with us seeing people do all these great things and serving him, whether it be now with us saying, I'm going to like, start a new Bible study on YouVersion app, and I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year because I've been slipping. There's no amount of that that's going to negate a disobedient heart. He wants friends. I said it this way last week, that the prodigal son was redeemed, but not so he can go back to that foreign land. Like, there's a reason he was redeemed. As scripture will put it, it is for freedom that he has set us free. Not for us to live willy-nilly. So there are expectations that comes with his divine pursuit and our receiving of said pursuit. If we receive it, he has ownership. If we receive it, he deserves our complete trust. And today we're saying, if we have received his divine pursuit and all of the things that result from his divine pursuit, one of the reasonable expectations and our reasonable response to it is that we obey. We can't buy ourselves out of obedience. Don't believe me? Let's go to the Old Testament because I'm always mentioning new and you guys are going to think I don't know any Old Testament. So, don't want you to think that. There's a passage in 1 Samuel, if we could pull that up. And just giving you a little bit of context, King Saul, who is kind of implied in this passage, because we're not reading enough for you to see his name mentioned, I don't believe. But King Saul is the first king of Israel. Okay? For a long time, we've seen judges, we've seen different prophets lifted up, but this is the first time that Israel has had a king. They asked for a king, they shouldn't have. Read the book of Samuel, you'll get some more context. But they asked for a king, and King Saul is their first king. And he's cool, he's all right, he does some good stuff, he won a couple battles, but obedience really wasn't like his bag. He wanted to do things his way. And so we're reading about what the consequence was, or rather, we're reading how Samuel the prophet addresses his disobedience. So let's read together. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to what? Sacrifice. I thought sacrifice was pretty important. Is sacrifice bad? No. Will he call us to sacrifice on occasion? Absolutely. We see that in our fasting. We see that in a lot of things where we sacrifice, whether it be temporarily or in a more permanent way. We sacrifice certain things. We shed certain things. We, we don't utilize certain things to our benefit because he calls us to give, to sacrifice, to, to, to let go of some things, right? To not be so focused on the possession of the thing, right? He's calling for that. But what does he want more? He wants our obedience. Now, I remember when I first came across this, I'm like, yeah, well, that sounds good, but it's a lot harder to obey than it is to sacrifice. So this is why he wants it, because to me, a sacrifice is more indicative of your heart than a sacrifice is. Rather, I'm sorry, an obedience is more indicative of the state of your heart than a sacrifice is. Sorry if I confused you. I'll say it one more time. Obedience is more indicative of the heart posture. 
says. So if you're just giving, that ain't going to be enough. He measures love towards him through obedience. Let's keep reading. Sorry, let's go back to the end of that. Sorry. And to heed than the fat of rams. 23. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. That means witchcraft if you have the amplified translation. It's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. How many of you practice witchcraft? Well, you wouldn't think that until you see how witchcraft is defined. Ain't just about hocus pocus. Saying things a bunch of times, mixing stuff in a big pauldron or a pot, wearing a pointy hat, having an unsightly boil on your face. It ain't just that. When we rebel, when we, put it this way, this is where God wants me, right? Shoulder width apart, right? This little path here. It's magic. Can you imagine this path? Yeah? Okay. Josh, can you see it? You can see it? Okay. Cool. Let me make sure. Morgan, you can see the path? Okay. When I go one standard deviation away from that path, just that's rebellion. We often think that it means I got to be two and three and four. I'm not going to deviations away from the path. But if the path is here and I do this, that is rebellion unto the Lord. Now, again, as I point these things out, this ain't a turn or burn or like a condemnation message. I ain't screaming at nobody. I'm chilling. What I'm saying is his love for you isn't going to change, but we want to reciprocate that love because it's an appropriate response. And so if I want to reciprocate it well, I have to know that this is unacceptable. Not because it's bad in the world's eyes. No, world's eyes just like this. I can't do this forever, but just I got to finish the analogy. Got to work out more. This looks good to the world. I've lived a lot of my life looking just like this, metaphorically. But he wants this. So are we going to give God what he wants or what we feel like giving? Because, see, if we're giving him what we feel like giving, we might as well just stop. We're wasting our time. He wants a certain thing. Now, for you, it might be something unique, Sam. Hannah, he might say something different to you. There are some general ways in which we know we can obey God. That's what I'm providing today. But how that plays out specifically for you, we got to be listening. Holy Spirit's very clear. Our ears are usually clogged, but Holy Spirit's clear. So Sam, he's going to talk to you one way, but Hannah, he might tell you something different, like unique, specific things he wants you to do by which to obey him. You should do that. It would be well for you to do that. Not because he's going to zap you, but because you said, I didn't hear you say it, but I'm imagining, you said you want to be God's friend, that you want to be his daughter, that you want to love him well. And he's saying, this is how you do it. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. 
Fortunately for us, God doesn't operate in rejection anymore. See, King Saul lost the hand of God on him. The Spirit of God was instructing him, and he, that was pulled away. Like, the anointing of God was pulled away. And God's not in the season of pulling stuff away anymore. When you feel like you don't got what he has to offer, it's because you're not utilizing it well, not because he's out here pulling and snatching stuff. The gifts of God come without repentance. He ain't out here going, mm, I'm going to take that from you, Ned. You don't know how to use it right. You're just not using it right. You're not operating in authority. So that's why you don't see it. But it's not because he mm, punished Ned. But we, we got God out to be this vindictive, mean person. I was just talking to a mentee yesterday, and he said, I had to relearn God. I thought that was so interesting. because He's not that old. I think 23. And he was saying, I need to relearn God because I knew him to be this mean king who was out here like just whipping people and beating them up. And we got so many people walking away from the church, regardless of age, because that's the picture of God they have. But again, I'm going to keep saying this, even though it's going to seem redundant. His love for you is not at risk. It's your expression of love towards him that's being hampered. He made his decision. He doesn't regret it. He's not changing his mind. But are we going to live in such a way where we actually give him what he deserves back? Let's move on. Don't want to hamper on King Saul. He's kind of depressing. He's a bummer. Let's move on to this. Since we're talking about commandments, we're talking about obeying things, let's look at one of the commandments Christ gave in the New Testament. Can we go to John 13, verse 34 through 35? See, this is one way in which we can express obedience is through our love. And so it says it this way, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know. So in 1 John, we heard, by this, love is perfected. Now we're hearing in John 13, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. Okay, that's cool. So that means I don't have to love anybody outside the church, just the people in the church, right? That's not that hard. I can do that. Josh, I can love you. That's easy. You're a lovable guy. Morgan, I see what you see. I get it. I get it. I can love Josh. That's easy. And that's not what he's calling for. Go to Galatians 6, verse 10. Just in case you think you get to opt out of loving the world. It says this. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. I got to love everybody. I got to be good to everybody. There's some people out here I want to be good to. But it seems pretty clear. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, not just Josh, and especially those to those who are in the household of faith. So it seems like nobody is out of the purview of your love or doing good. or right. If we want to obey God, one of the things he's calling us to do is love. And to love, oh, it's on the screen, well. 
See, but if you think you're exempt from having to love people who aren't also loving well, you're not. Over the last couple of days, I've been exhausted. There's been so much family stuff going on. Man, I'm not going to share any of it personally. If y'all want to talk to me, you can talk to me afterwards. But there's been so much stuff, and I've been tempted not to love people well because they have certainly not loved me well. I have been cursed out. I've been called the N-word. I'm talking about my family members. Like, it's been a rough couple of days. And I understand why it's happening, but it doesn't change the fact that it hurts. My family has not always loved me well. I'm not saying they never have, but especially recently, they have not loved me well. And if I'm being honest, not to paint myself as the saint, I haven't been loving them well. But I don't get to exempt them from this commandment. He didn't say an option I give to you, a new option I give to you, a new preference I give to you. What did he say? A new commandment I give to you to love one another. How? How I have loved you. Sounds like we're going back to Romans 12. In view of what? His mercy. In view of what? His love. So why should I love my family when they don't love me well? Because he loved me. Why should I do by people and to people? Why should I do well by those in my workplace and in my community and in my neighborhood, including my neighbor who has said mean things to me? since we lived there? Why should I do it? Because he's loved me well. That's the well, pun intended, that we're drawing from. I'm drawing from the well that Christ has filled with his love. So when I say, I just don't have enough to do this anymore, to tolerate these people, I'm exhausted. I say, plunge your bucket deep in the well of God's love. See, because if you plunge it deep in his love and in his mercy, I promise you'll have everything you need to obey him in this and all matters. You find your strength waning, plunge deep. Or as Psalm says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Right? I need to plunge my bucket deep and I need to pull up another amount of God's love. And I need to be reminded he has loved me well. He has done good for me. He has redeemed me. He has forgiven me. He has healed me. The least I can do is love other people well. We'll end here. I told you I was going to be efficient. Although it's going to seem funny because when I say I'm going to be efficient, I'm about to read a whole book. (laughs) So can we go to Philemon 1? Or Philemon. I used to say Philemon all the time. Philemon. Like it was like a Pokemon. <laughs> but it's Philemon I hear. Philemon. What's his power? Forgiveness and restoration. Ayo. Okay. We're going to skip the greeting because it's long. So we're starting at verse 4. Paul's long-winded, so am I. So starting at verse 4. You ready? Let's read together. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come 
to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Wait a minute. It seems like the letter took a turn here. Because he was just like giving him compliments and heaping him with effusive praise. And then all of a sudden it's like, I can make you do this. Like Paul's a thug. Just understand, he's a thug. He's a bully. He bench presses a lot. Keep reading. Yet of love's sake, or yet for love's sake, remember I said sometimes we can swap Christ in. Not always. We got to understand the Greeks had multiple words for love. But I think in this place it might be safe that if we were to say for Christ's sake, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Now, he's not talking about his literal child. Onesimus is not Paul's baby. Onesimus is a grown man who Paul led to Christ. And now Paul sees him as like a mentee, but maybe even closer than that, he refers to him as a son, right? Somebody that he has poured into and spent a lot of time with. Verse 11 says, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. When did he become useful? When he became aware, knowing and believing in what Christ has done for him. As a result, Onesimus is now useful. You are now useful. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, if you then see me as your Lord, I know it doesn't say it, but understand, if Paul can write this to Philemon, how much more can God say? Okay, we're not there yet. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention, though Paul's about to mention it, to you, that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Now, that letter is, as I mentioned last week, a story. It paints a picture of what Christ is expecting of us. Go back to the partner thing. I think it's verse 19, I believe. No, go back another verse, sorry. If then you regard me a partner, 
So in the new, we're called servants, we're called friends, we're called children. How about adding this as a title you can hold? I'm a partner of the Most High God. But if I'm not willing to love and to forgive and to restore people, regardless of whether they deserve it, I am not a partner of God. He loves me, but I'm not his partner. And you would think it'd be a reasonable response that we would partner with the one who has given us everything. It'd be reasonable for us to do this. So I'll end with this question. Are you a partner of God? Don't answer it out loud. But I want you to reflect on that. Looking at how he measures it. Are you loving as Christ loved you? Are you forgiving people even if they've wronged you? Because it doesn't go down the list of what Onesimus has done, but Onesimus did something that Paul has to write a letter. I've never written a letter on somebody's behalf, so I would imagine Onesimus' crimes were not small. They were not minute. But if I want to be a partner of the Most High God, I'm going to love well, but I'm also going to forgive well. I'm going to restore well. And the reason why I'm going to restore well is because he has first restored me. So I'm showing how we can address God and how we can love God well, how we can meet his love languages by saying that I'm going to give all of myself, that I'm going to trust him, that I'm going to obey him through my love of those in the church and outside the church and my restoration of others because he has restored me. All the things that he's asking you to do to show that you love him, he's already done for you. You name the thing that Christ wants you to do that he wouldn't first do. You can't find it. So I ask the question again, are you a partner of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or, we could rephrase it this way, do you love him well? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for um, taking an outline and making it truth. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters would have the discernment necessary, that they would listen to the Holy Spirit, that they can cast out or throw out anything that I said that wasn't in perfect alignment with you. God, this isn't the Donovan show. This is a time where we spend time together trying to get closer to you, trying to pursue you divinely. So, Lord, I pray that they'd be able to chew up the meat and go ahead and spit out those bones that they would have a greater understanding of you, but more importantly, Lord, that they would now with that understanding and that belief that they would love you well. God, I'm excited at what it would look like if everyone in this room loved you well. I'm excited to look at what it would be if everyone in the kingdom loved you well. God, let us start a movement of that today in any ways in which we have deviated from what you desire and love, God, we apologize. We know we're forgiven, but we just want to address the fact that we've stepped out. Lord, thank you for giving us the ability to step right back in. Thank you for not casting us aside. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Lord, in view of your mercy, we will love you well. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. You're matchless, you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're effective name, we pray. Amen. God bless you, family.